The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain. I'm living in Canada. And since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Now, today's episode is about needs of children with autism. And just a word about how physicians see autism. For them, it's an incurable condition in which the nervous system of a child fails to develop normally, which always results in some form of disability, which creates major, major challenges for the children, their families, and their family caregivers. But as I'm learning from the guests on Family Caregivers Unite, there is an encouraging side to the story of autism arising from the efforts of family caregivers. In episode 21, Roxanne Davis was my guest. She's the mother of Mason. He's 11 and has profound autism diagnosed at the age of three. Roxanne organized for Mason a service dog, you know, a dog guide called Dublin. I asked her, what happens about school? She replied, Dublin and Mason are both in grade five together. So with autism, and this is what I like to say to my colleagues, there are times when dogs are more useful than doctors. Now, to talk about the other needs of children with autism and how these are met, I welcome Susan Fenty Pierce, who's in Ontario, Canada, and Malcolm Stanley, who's in Pennsylvania, USA. Now, Susan is a registered nurse. She's co-founder of the Ontario Autism Coalition. She's the mother of four children, two of whom have autism. Malcolm Stanley is a past member of the executive of the Ontario Autism Coalition. He joined the coalition after his eldest daughter, Megan, was diagnosed with autism in 2006. Then in 2008, with his family, he moved to Pennsylvania, where he lives and works today. And listeners, you can find their blogs and their websites from this show's episode description or by emailing us here at the show. So, welcome to the show, Susan and Malcolm. Thanks for having us. You're very welcome. Now, I'm going to start with a question to Malcolm. And I, please tell us more about your professional background and your experience as a family caregiver for autism. Malcolm? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, so um, I work in the telecommunication industry. Uh, I have about 20 years behind me now working in broadcast television and uh, working for cable companies and telephone companies. 
primarily in the area of digital video. And uh, I currently work for a company that is based in the United States, and we produce equipment that provides video-on-demand services and advertising services for uh, telephone and cable companies. When, uh, when in, 2006, in 2006, um, our daughter Megan, who uh, at the time was two years old, uh, we found that, that there were some things going on with her that we did not understand. And, you know, I'll be very honest that my wife picked up on it long before I did. And so we started doing the rounds, and we ultimately ended up with a diagnosis of very severe autism for my daughter. And we were told at that time that she might never speak, might never be able to communicate effectively with us, might never go to school, might never grow into an independent um, adult, and that she may spend the majority of her life institutionalized. And so that was very challenging for us. Made my wife cry for many, many days. Um, and then, you know, um, uh, from there we entered the world of autism, which is just a very different world from the world of typical children. And, and we began to work very hard to show uh, that, that maybe that diagnosis was not, uh, not the sentence that, you know, the life sentence that it purported to be. Right. Susan, please, same question. Please tell us about your professional background and your experience as a family caregiver for autism. Okay, I'm a registered nurse and specializing in maternal child health uh, for many years, and I am the mother of four sons. My two youngest sons have autism, and that has led me down a path I didn't expect uh, in many, many ways. Um, one of the ways is to the point that now I'm co-founder of the Ontario Autism Coalition, which was founded in 2005, and I've become a real activist on behalf of those with autism and the families that are dealing with autism. Um, my two youngest boys, Kyle, who is almost 17, Keith is 14, they have autism, and we have a very good example of the differing um, autism spectrum right here within my household. Um, we were featured in a TVO documentary um, and a couple of other documentaries as well because of the very um, wide spectrum that our, my kids exhibit. Keith, at 14, is a big boy. He's nonverbal, yet highly, highly intelligent, um, and he struggles to communicate. Um, Kyle, who is 17 almost, he is verbal, yet lower functioning, and uh, requires, you know, a different level of support. But my recent challenges um, and really what motivated me to be an activist are the challenges of Keith, my youngest, because he exhibits some aggressive and self-injurious behaviors that, as he is getting older and bigger, are becoming uh, very dangerous. Okay, so and dangerous to my safety, to the safety of his brother, and, uh, of course, to himself. And most recently, my, me seeking out crisis intervention and services within Ontario, um, I had accessed everything I could possibly think of. I went to my member of provincial parliament, so my state representative, if you're in the United States, um, at the state level of government, for example, and explained my problem and my desperate plea for help. Um, there's got to be something. And I was instructed by him that I should have my son charged with assault at the age of 14 and put into the criminal justice system in order to access care. 
And that reignited the fire in my belly, let me tell you, because I feel like sending him a thank you card (laughs) rather than being appalled because that is highly inappropriate and unacceptable. And it will, it again gives me fire and fuel to continue. Susan, we're going to come back to those issues because they are profound. Um, But I just want to ask Malcolm. Please tell us more about Megan and her experience with autism. Malcolm? Yeah, sorry. So as I said before, um, when Megan was diagnosed, she was nonverbal. She um, had issues where she really could not imitate, you know, which is a basic skill that children typically have. If you put your hands on your head and you said, look, Megan, do that, she could not. We immediately began to search for help, and we found uh, some caregivers who were trained in applied behavioral analysis, or ABA. ABA is the only scientifically validated method of therapy for children of autism. And so we immediately, on our own dime, began to pay for therapy for Megan. And, you know, as we like to say, we hammered her with therapy. Eventually, the provincial government in Ontario did come through with funding. There is a wait list for that funding. Some children in Ontario never move off the wait list. Many children on the wait list get cut off. Um, That did not happen to us, although we believe that it was about to when we moved to to Pennsylvania. So what we did was we found an ABA therapist, and um, over time we found a couple really good ones, but one in particular, um, Shaza Attar, worked with Megan for two to three years and basically put her together as a child, uh, taught her to speak, taught her to express her feelings, um, gave her a voice, and, you know, taught her uh, not to be incredibly socially inappropriate. And so today, Megan is a six-year-old child. She is in grade one in school uh, in a classroom that is mainstreamed. She is articulate and can speak and, and emote her feelings. And, and so we feel very fortunate because the therapy that we gave her was in time before that critical age of five when, uh, you know, between the ages of two and five, if you have that therapy and it's performed correctly, you can perform, you know, significant changes on your child, uh, which will give them, you know, a much greater hope in life. Right. And so we were pleased about that. Good. Susan, we've only... A- a minute or two just before we go into the break. This is the tyranny of um, breaks and the rest of it. But please say, did do do or did either of your sons um, go through ABA? And if so, how how did it benefit them? Absolutely. Keith was the first child within our county to receive um, the Applied Behavioral Analysis uh, funded through the Ontario government. But at that point, there was an age six cutoff. Um, So he aged out. We hired privately while we could with a large family. Um, It was very expensive, and we could not continue. At the time that that therapy ended is when Keith's aggression, self-injury, and regression began, and it ended with him in an institutionalized setting for three months, receiving a program that was clearly based on Applied Behavioral Analysis. Right. Susan, I'm going to interrupt you because it is time for the break. We are going to be coming back. Um, This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guests are Susan Fenty-Pierce and Malcolm Stanley. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We definitely will be back. 
news, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The Bay and Beyond is a unique lifestyle program featuring guests that are setting the trends for 21st century living and beyond. While our program originates from the San Francisco Bay Area, our topics and ideas will affect you anywhere that you may be listening. Your host, Frances LaRose, and her guests will bring you both professional and leisure perspectives to help you in your day-to-day life. From current events to your lifestyle, it's all here. Tune in to The Bay and Beyond, Thursdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Susan Fenty Pierce and Malcolm Stanley. Our topic is Needs of Children with Autism. And now I want to talk about the key challenges, the key responses, and the key things involved. Susan, first of all, um, what have been and continue to be the major challenges you've encountered in providing family caregiver support for Keith and and for Kyle, and how do you deal with these challenges? Susan? Well, challenges some days feel truly endless, I have to say, and I want to say that because I want other parents out there listening to know that everyone experiences that sensation and that and those feelings, and um, I'm proof that you do go on and you can make it, um, and I will fight until I draw my last breath for children with autism and their families because I do believe that what's in place now is not nearly enough in Ontario, um, and I had said that my son ended up in an institutional setting receiving an applied behavioral analysis uh, form, you know, behavioral therapy, if you will, um, away from home at the age of eight, nonverbal, highly intelligent. I cannot begin to explain what it is like to leave your eight-year-old child who knows you're leaving them. It was a nightmare, and that is when I came together with four other parents and formed the Ontario Autism Coalition. Because with that 
as Malcolm said, the only scientifically proven uh, effective means of therapy for children with autism. Um, Keith can regulate himself. He understands his world better. He's able to communicate better. He's able to complete tasks and have a higher degree of independence. And without, his world kind of, you know, it doesn't make sense to him. And currently within the schools, the, the, the things that are available in the schools, I, I agree that the teachers are doing the best that they can, but we have to shift this paradigm of education into now, and, and it will be a paradigm shift, and that's why we will continue to apply the pressure because what's in place is not effective. It is not working, and while the people on the ground are doing the best they can, we advocates have to continue to advocate at the governmental level to attempt to make them understand the importance and the value of an education to our children. They can be taxpayers. They don't need to be a burden on the taxpayer. Plus, again, it's morally wrong not to provide children with appropriate education. Right. Malcolm, same question. The, what are, have been, continue to be the major challenges you've encountered in providing family care support caregiver support for Megan, and how do you deal with them? Well, so our environment is very different living in Pennsylvania. Um, Since we've moved from Ontario, uh, I think that the challenges that we faced have been interesting, but the response has been very different. So Megan, as she has grown up, she has continued um, to to grow in her ability to express herself, but she, in the same way that, that Susan's son has, um, evolved has evolved into someone who can show a fair amount of aggression and frustration with the world and um, you know children of autism often display uh, efforts at controlling behavior and get very frustrated when they cannot control their environment and that expresses itself in, in some ways that are just less than ideal now in Ontario when we lived there there really was no support for that you um, you got ABA therapy and that was very limited in terms of a budget that was available to you for that the school system did not allow your therapist into the school. There really is no ABA therapy in schools in Ontario. And the programs that are in place to provide that are years away from providing you know, meaningful support to families. And beyond that, there's really nothing. In Pennsylvania, when we got here, we found a completely different world. The county that we live in, Montgomery County, is um, uh, quite prosperous. And as a result, there is uh, uh, tax money flowing into the education system in sufficient amounts that they can allocate a significant amount to support for children with disabilities. So as a result, when Megan um, uh, went into kindergarten here in Pennsylvania, she was assessed by a a board-certified behavior analyst, and then they hired an outside one, a second one, to do an independent assessment just to make sure they were right. They provided her a kindergarten setting with a complete, you know, therapy-based half-day program uh, based on ABA with other autism children and then a complete other half-day mainstreamed with uh, typical children. Today, she is in grade one. She is mainstreamed. She has a full-time shadow. We, in addition to that, through Medicare wraparound services, have a therapy team that works with her and with our family at home uh, because, uh, you know, Megan and, and her challenges impact our entire family. Uh, my wife, whose name is Wendy, feels incredibly isolated some days. Uh, Megan uh, is extremely challenging emotionally and, and physically sometimes abusive. 
and um, and Wendy just needs help. And um, unlike in Ontario, unlike Susan, who has no one to call, nowhere to go, uh, here in Pennsylvania, we have people who we can phone. They will come to our house. They will help us. They put in place programs. They get down on the floor with Megan and work with her one-on-one to explain to her why what she is doing is not good and provide real ABA-based therapy um, uh, to modify her behavior and shape her behavior so that in the long run she does not grow into a child who is self-injurious, who is violent, who is incapable of, of living in society. Right. Susan, from what you've been saying, it's clear that the family caregiver, that is you and people like you, become the eyes, the ears, and the voice for children with autism. Please tell us when this type of support is most needed in your experience. Wow. (laughs) I may not have reached that pinnacle yet, Gordon. (laughs) But I know that uh, I would say from day of diagnosis until I no longer draw breath or am present on this planet, um, because my children will always require someone to speak for them, to be their eyes, ears, and especially voice. And it is scary as a parent, I must say, um, because I must uh, discover immortality uh, somehow. Um, but that's why the time that I'm here has to count so much, because it will pave the way for my children and for future families and children, and I refuse to believe that in the year 2010 that I'm sitting here in the most prosperous uh, province in all of Ontario, in the largest city in Ontario, and that there is no crisis service, that there is no appropriate education, that my son Kyle, who is in a segregated classroom, which truly is a segregated classroom, there's very little opportunity for his class to integrate, that he doesn't have access to a quiet room, which is critical for children with autism because they have such sensory issues, that I just discovered yesterday that there are 25 gym classes in this large high school, and there's only 24 gym slots. So guess who doesn't get to go to gym? The, the uh, children with disabilities are having to make do in a classroom. Wrong answer. Right. And Kyle couldn't tell me that. So eyes, ears, and voice, you better believe it, from the day of diagnosis until I am no longer around. Right. And believe me, I'm just getting started on the gym issue. But that's one of many things, and, that, and that's the point, that there are so many areas, and it doesn't have to be this way, and we are better than this, and we need to make sure that the government understands we expect more, we, these children and families deserve more, and it is the moral obligation of everyone yep. to look after those that are most vulnerable going to come back to that because that's another crucial issue. But just a quick one for Malcolm because of the break. For a child with autism, when is it important for, shall we say, the parent, the family caregiver to keep private the information that the child has the condition? And when is it important for the information to be shared? And with whom should it be shared? So I I think that what is important to understand is that autism is a label. 
and that label has positive consequences and, and can potentially have negative consequences. What we have found is that um, it is most helpful to understand that the, the positive consequences can be access to services, access to support, access to uh, community understanding of the challenges that we are going through as a family and that our child is going through as an individual. And so accessing that label and the power of that label that your child has autism, uh, it is a tool that you can use to go to uh, service providers, go to community supports, and say, look, you know, this is a legitimate requirement that we have, and we need help. And so as the number of children in society has grown who have autism, the understanding within society has grown that there is a need to support. It does take a community to raise an autism child and support an autism family. And the, the label can be very helpful in setting the expectation of what is required. And within that context, I think sharing it is a, is a useful and, and appropriate thing to do. What we also find, though, is that you should not use this as a badge of honor. It is not anything other than uh, it's, it's metadata about your child. It's just a fact. And so when there is no need to disclose that your child has autism, when it really doesn't make a difference, when you're in a social situation where uh, nobody's going to know otherwise or they're really not thinking about it, uh, there's no need to make a big deal out of it. You can just keep that to yourself, and I think that that's the appropriate thing to do. Everybody has their thing. Our daughter has autism, um, but that is only one aspect of our daughter, and it really is not the most significant aspect of her. It just helps people to understand sometimes why she says and does some of the things that she says and does. Just on the same point about sharing the information, is it always the family caregiver who makes the decision when and when not to share, Malcolm? Uh, we, we have found that typically all of the agencies that we deal with are very respectful of privacy. And um, certainly here in the United States, we have found that there is a, a large amount of paperwork associated with that where you must give explicit permission for the details of, of anyone's medical condition to be disclosed. It really here in the United States is treated like a medical condition. It has um, impacts in terms of you know, things like insurance coverage, which are really much more important here. And so as a result, it is treated as something that... Um, deserves respect, and, uh, and people will not disclose it or pass that information along unless you give explicit permission to do so. Right. And if you find that they are doing it otherwise, um, you really do have the right and the ability to go and hammer them on that, and that's very appropriate. Right. In other words, privacy is important in certain circumstances. That's right, isn't it? It, it is. You know, from, just from a social perspective, um, you know, people on our street, um, I'm sure some of them do not know that we have a special needs child. And there's no reason for them to know that, and, and I think that that's, it, it's just appropriate that it be that way. Right. Now, we're going to take the break. We will be coming back to these and various other vital issues in this discussion. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Adderley. My guests are Susan Fenty Pierce and Malcolm Stanley. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. 
Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. What is a myth? It's an unquestioned assumption that inhibits people from leading lives of meaning and purpose. Myths are so pervasive that we often fail to see their influence and end up choosing from a narrow perspective. Break through the myths with host Claire Mann and Social Myth Busting, key to extraordinary living. You'll find that by breaking through the barriers of conformity and conventional parameters, you can become the effective leader of your own life. Tune in Thursdays at 5 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at m-y-m-o-n-a-m-i dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Susan Fenty-Pierce and Malcolm Stanley. Our topic is needs of children with autism. Now, let's talk about life for children with autism. Susan, first, please tell us more about the quality of life for children with autism um, based on your own experience or what you know of other families' experiences. And also please say what family caregivers do to improve the quality of life of their children's lives. Well, quality of life for children with autism, you know, my my two kids, again, autism is a large spectrum, the autism spectrum disorders, that's why they call it that. Um, there are very high-functioning children and very low-functioning children or, you know, people within that spectrum. Um, my my children are obviously um, struggling with a disability. You know, if you saw them in the community, you would realize, um, you know, that something is going on. Uh I think that their quality of life is pretty good, but the lack of opportunity to integrate, for example, with others within the school um, that Kyle is attending, for example, um, the, the lack of understanding that you encounter within the community that a lot of times you can alleviate by explaining, but the looks, the, um, you know, when Kyle has to bounce a bit or, you know, he's 17 years old and people are thinking, hmm, you know. And then, you know, I know my my very close friend who has a, a high-functioning child with autism um, and the school was well-prepared back in May and June to expect their son and they weren't at all ready for their their son to be at the school. So he had to stay home 
for pretty much the, the entire school year thus far and had only been able to attend school one hour per day. She had to take a leave of absence from work. So this is happening to so many different people. So quality of life, not to mention um, as a family unit, it's, it's a lot of work. And you're trying to survive the daily grind and provide for your family, put food on the table. And at the same time, there's no go-to person or one case manager or this is who you go to to assist you with navigating the system. You know, you're pretty much left up to your own devices and your own resources, how resourceful you are. Um, and there, it doesn't have to be that way. As we've heard from Malcolm, it does not have to be that way. And so we do, as family caregivers, you know, you're always trying to allocate or find programs that your child can attend. For example, there is a therapy dog program that had been run by an organization here in Ontario uh, in the GTH, uh, the Greater Toronto Area. Carrie's Place is an amazing organization, charitable organization. Kids and dogs, it's it's pet therapy. Um, You're always looking for opportunities to integrate your child with other children in in a supportive way. Um, But yet it is. It's very difficult Mm -hmm. when you're fighting the daily fight, and especially when you're fighting for the basics of education and inclusion. Wrong. It's 2010. Yes. Now, I'm going to pursue Malcolm on the same question, basically. What, What are the types of problems that children with autism encounter in their lives beyond the families, the kind of thing that Susan has been talking about. What's your perspective on those? Well, I think that, you know, Susan and I agree that inclusion is incredibly important. And uh, inclusion is very difficult because our children uh, do not understand even the concept of inclusion. You know, certainly my daughter does not understand that we're trying to include her in activities that with other typical children because she doesn't really understand, I mean, maybe she does now, but for a long time she has not understood that everybody isn't really like her. So, you know, we, we try and include her in gym classes, in swimming classes, in ballet, in, um, you know, all of these other activities. And, and the, the thing about children with autism is that, of course, they very much are involved uh, in their own experiences, in their own sensations, you know, their sensory overload that these children experience. And so inclusion is difficult because they are not attempting to include themselves, um, you know, in an active way or don't understand that as a goal. So, you know, a great example would be uh, Megan, um, for a while we had her in a ballet class. And for the first little while that worked, but as the classes got more advanced, um, you know, not much more advanced, um, it became a challenge because she would become diverted by, you know, dust on the floor or, you know, a fly in the corner of a room. And all of her attention would be consumed by that to the point where she would really not be engaged in what was going on or around her. And so, you know, we have videotape of, of children dancing um, and singing, you know, in, in activities. And she's standing in the middle of that, stock still focused on, you know, a light in the distance. Uh, and that's just her experience. So, uh, you know, the, 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 I, I, I would say that, you know, the word problem maybe is a bit strong. It's more, it's a set of challenges that need to be overcome. And, um, you know, Megan loves to do these activities, but it's all on her terms. And teaching her socially appropriate behavior has become a very large aspect of the programs that we are working with her on now 
uh, because if she cannot get to some minimal level of socially appropriate behavior, of, of providing attention span, of focusing on activities of dealing with other people, uh, you know, on a one-on-one -on -one basis or in a group basis, uh, she will not, in an effective way, be able to enter society as she grows older, and, and that will narrow her options and her quality of life in her later years quite significantly. I want to change, <clears throat> change a little bit of emphasis in my next two questions. It's the same question for both of you. Susan, to start with, Susan, what makes the sun shine for you in caring for Keith and Kyle, and what makes the sun shine for them? You know, and that's a very important question, Gordon. I appreciate that question because so much of the time is spent fighting for what they need and, and you know, the daily struggles and seeing them struggle to communicate, to deal with all the sensory input they're dealing with um, and to interact. But the sun shines for me in caring for Keith and Kyle in those moments of humor because you know what? At the end of the day, yes, they have autism, but it isn't who they are. It's a piece of who they are, sure, and it's something they'll always deal with. But they're funny, they're smart, they're very caring, and they have the right to be happy like everybody else. And I see those happy moments when we do have... Uh, you know, a family outing when they're able to, to go, when we have the support to go. Um, you know, apple picking or uh, bowling. Oh, gosh, Keith is a champion bowler, you know. Um, and Kyle is a video game whiz. He can, people used to bring their game systems over to our home, his two older brothers, their friends, to for Kyle to crack a level in video games. And just, you know, these kids, and soon-to-be adults in my case, they have a lot to offer, and we need to give them what they need so they can become the wonderful people that they are. And we need to not get lost in the diagnosis. Yeah. I agree with Malcolm when he said, sure, it's a label, but it's a portion of who they are. And I just... I, of course, love them dearly, and yes. I thank God for them. Even even though our lives are difficult and it's difficult to watch them struggle, I'm there to help them and uh, hopefully make a big difference for them and everyone else that has autism in their families as well. And the sun shines. M Malcolm, same question. What makes the sun shine for you in caring for Megan? And that's your wife, both of you, caring for Megan. And what makes the sun shine for her? Well, and, and so here's the thing, right, is that um, that is the question that is at the core of any applied behavior analysis-based program because ABA focuses on the positive. It accentuates the notion that you're going to provide incentives to your child um, and, and provide them the things that they want in return for behaviors and activities that you want. Now, with our daughter, you know, she has been challenging lately, and, and we've had some challenging times of her. And our therapists are now reminding us that, you know what, this is about being positive, not negative. And so we've had to refocus as a family on, you know what, what makes Megan happy? 
you know, things like fairies and butterflies and, um, and computer games and things like that because we had fallen naturally into a bit of a cycle where we were treating her behaviors in a negative way, using punishment, not reinforcement. It's easy to do. And, um, and you forget that, in fact, everybody just wants to be happy, autism children included. Mm-hmm. And if you can provide them with an understanding that, you know what, if, if you help me out by doing these things for me, then I'm going to help make you happy by making sure that you get the stuff that you want. That's at the core of, of being a, a good therapy practitioner and being a good parent for, for someone with autism. So in the last little while, with the help of the therapist that we have availability to, um, you know, we've, we've started to turn that situation around, and this change is amazing. Um, Megan, you know, curls up at night with Wendy now, and they read books together. They talk about uh, uh, fairies. They talk about um, butterflies. Megan wants to turn our entire family into butterflies magically so that we can all fly away together. And um, when she says things like that, your heart sings, and you're amazed by the imagination that this little girl can have, um, you know, and and it it just really does make your day when you understand that this child, who we were told could never speak, um, loves to look at you every now and then with those big blue eyes and just say, you know what, I really love you. Yeah. I'm going to have to sadly interrupt you because it is time for the break, but sun shining is a clear message from you both. Now, it is time for that break. This is Dr. Gordon Everly. My guests are Susan Fenty Pierce and Malcolm Stanley. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America channel. Please stay tuned because we're going to be talking about the things that need to change to bring the sun and other things to the aid of families with children with autism. We will be back. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Wielding power, shaping environments and outcomes, and making things happen are all essential characteristics of great leaders. Yet these qualities alone are not enough to ensure your success. In a complex world, how do you decide what's most important to you? In your career, your relationships? Relationships, your finances, your family, in the world around you, in the whole of your life at large. Dr. Joseph Riggio, the host of Leadership Intuition, says that personal leadership, the desire to take charge of your life, is the key to creating futures that work and building a life worth living. Join Joseph as he reveals the power of uncovering and living your own personal mythology, the key to personal transformation, exquisite performance, and social influence. Learn to look inside and discover your personal mythology and unique leadership style. Go beyond conventional advice and discover your unique success blueprint on leadership intuitions with Dr. Joseph Riggio each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Leadership intuitions, power, achievement, relationships. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Susan Fenty Pierce and Malcolm Stanley. Our topic is needs of children with autism. Now, let's talk now about what's needed to enhance support for children with autism and their family caregivers. You both already discussed this and made some interesting comparisons between uh, Canada, or shall I say Ontario and Pennsylvania. I want to hear more about these. So start with Malcolm. What are the changes that you believe are most needed to improve support for children with autism? So I think that um, what we have to understand is that these are children and they have a life cycle. That, that's where the word life cycle comes from, you know, every concept. And, and so what is important to understand is that the needs evolve over time and that the services need to be provided in an evolving model over time. And most importantly, that the capacity needs to be in the system to provide these services to all children who require them uh, because this is a societal benefit over the long term. So when children are young, what is important is that the diagnosis the ability to get a diagnosis um, be available without waiting and that it happen as quickly as possible. The minimum age for diagnosis for a child with autism is two, and if every child can be screened for that at two, that would be a great thing. Currently in Ontario, you can wait six months or a year to get that diagnosis if that's a problem. Why is it a problem? Because the brain in a child develops between the ages of two and about five. Uh, the verbal centers are still developing, um, you know, sensory perception, all of that, but it's extremely important. The sooner that you can get your child into a program of applied behavioral analysis or ABA under the supervision of a board-certified behavior analyst, uh, the more likely you are to have a great impact on the ability of your child over the long term to speak, to communicate, to manage for sensory issues. It's extremely important. So access to services in this critical two- to five-year-old range, incredibly important. They need to be available, and they need to be available to children in a manner that works for the family. Many times, uh, services are provided you know, in institutional settings. You have to travel there. Uh, there are costs to the families that um, families cannot bear because they have the expense already of a special need child, and, and you know, paying for the therapy just isn't usually part of our life plan. Um, this, uh, access to these services, I cannot... Uh, I cannot emphasize it enough. And then when you get to school age, what is important to understand is that ABA is not a challenge to teachers. ABA is a help to teachers. And you need to have programs within schools that are based on ABA, classrooms where children can be educated using techniques in that manner. Uh, in fact, this would probably benefit all children uh, if you could get to that, but certainly you need the access for, for children with these conditions. Now, children with autism are all different. The diagnosis may be the same, but the, the impact of the condition is very different in every case. And so a one-size-fits-all approach does not work. 
you need to have the ability for uh, children who may be termed higher functioning to be integrated into classrooms with typical children. You need the ability for children with more challenging um, uh, attributes, maybe to be segregated and dealt with one-on-one or, one or in small groups. And in some cases, it will be found that it is not appropriate for children with autism to be mainstreamed or integrated into society. This is something that Harold Doherty, um, who is a, an activist in Canada in New Brunswick, speaks about a lot, that in fact, over time, in, in the pursuit of integration, we have lost the ability to provide appropriate institutional settings for children who are severely impacted. And this is a deficit that needs to be corrected because it is only appropriate and fair to these children. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, this is just the basics. And then, you know, we're only, you know, age six. Um, as these children get over, as I think now Susan can describe, the challenges change again and the services that are required um, uh, migrate uh, appropriately. Yep. Susan, same question for you. Changes yes. that you believe are most needed to improve support for children with autism at the various stages. Susan? Mm -hmm. I, I think that Malcolm has struck on a very important point as well. I know I've been discussing integration, but I fully agree that if it is not appropriate for an a individual to be integrated at all times, if that's not what their need is, then we need to have an alternative plan for that. And right now in Ontario, there isn't one. And that's wrong. And many states are further ahead, I know, even in Michigan, for example, that there's a center within the school uh, board or the, the, the district that they bus kids from all over. And it's a specialized center that provides, they bring other kids in from the high schools to be uh, peer pals. You know, we have to think in those terms as well. So that's an important point I'm glad Malcolm brought up because I realize, you know, for sure there are instances that it's not the best for the child, but we don't have an alternative at this point. And as far as recommendations and what needs to happen, I would like to direct people to OntarioAutismCoalition.com. And if you click on the Ask on the left side of the screen under Main Menu, there is a recommendations report in PDF format that the coalition put together after a big tent meeting of, of many different advocates in Ontario to do with autism. And this report was presented to the chief of staff and uh, the senior policy advisor to the Minister of, Community, or the Minister of uh, Children and Youth Services back in June of this year. And I might add as well that we've yet to hear back from the ministry regarding this recommendations. It's a very thorough um, recommendation list involving diagnosis, as Malcolm so importantly uh, stated, autism intervention programs, um, what needs to happen with ABA allowed in the classrooms, you know, if within the school system, that there should be the supports there. Capacity, of course, building capacity within the system, funding. There are so many different important things. And then always, of course, children with autism grow up. And if we don't prepare them with the proper education, we're going to have an even bigger problem when we have adults, which is where I'm getting to now as far as, you know, no crisis intervention. There's no place for these kids to go, and there's no services or, or point of access that can say, this is, you know, come, we'll help you while you get through your crisis. My friend Laura Kirby McIntosh took her son to 
uh, Sick Kids for Children, the hospital here, recognized internationally. Um, it's here in Toronto. Whenever her son had exhibited such aggression and, and desperation for so many hours, they ended up in the eMERGE, and they said at this leading facility for medical treatment for children, you know, internationally recognized, well, there's really nothing we can do for you. Here's a prescription for a sedative. While three security guard grown men were wrestling her son, who is 10. I mean, this has to stop. And it's going to be more fiscally responsible, and it's definitely morally responsible, because right now, we're not getting any of that. And and this needs to be dealt with appropriately and responsibly, and we need to look at our children like we do, you know, we should look at all people and all children, and that's as an investment. We need to make an investment in our children. It's the right thing to do and the responsible thing to do. And, you know, I can't begin to explain. My friend, the teacher, has been off work for two months. I'm a nurse. If my son injures me, that's one more nurse out of the medical field, boots on the ground, helping people within an already taxed medical system. I know a family physician. Her son received a diagnosis of autism. Due to lack of services and lack of proper supports, she quit her medical practice to stay at home with her child and school him. This has very huge rippling effects by not addressing what these children need. Right. Now, I've got um, the same question for both of you. Got to be quick answers, I'm afraid, because the tyranny of time is up is against us, uh, as it always is. My question, starting with Malcolm, but it's going to follow up with Susan, in whose best interests are the changes you'd like to see, and why are these interests so important? Malcolm. So here's the thing. Um, our children do grow up. <clears throat> they will be adult members of society. In some cases, because of their condition, they will not be able to um, integrate with society and become um, productive members of society, and that's just a fact and a truth. And, and planning now to manage that later, very important, because otherwise we will have people on streets who are incapable of, of managing and maintaining themselves and nowhere to go. In Indiana this week, there was a, uh, a big uh, uh, crisis around this in the state legislature. Um, you know, a member of the social services um, uh, infrastructure and government was telling people to drop adult children um, with uh, mental conditions off at, um, at homeless shelters because, you know, if they couldn't deal with them because that was the only place that they could think of to send them. Clearly, this is not what we need to be doing. Whose interest is it in? Well, it isn't just in the interest of these children to make sure that as they grow up, that they get the therapies they need to be able to integrate and the supports that they need if they don't. It's in the interest of everybody because at the end of the day, we're all going to pay for what comes next. To the extent that these children can support themselves and have productive lives, well, isn't that all that anybody wants? And should not we, you know, as an American, I can say that the pursuit of happiness is a right. It's intrinsic to all of us, including these autism children. And in the case where they really cannot effectively pursue that, that, that um, quest for happiness, we as a society have an obligation to help them. And, you know, interestingly, just from an ROI perspective, it costs less okay. to do that, I'm, right? Malcolm, I'm going to break in because I just want Susan to have the last word, and sure. we really only have one more minute. So, Susan, uh, whose best interest uh, is what you're talking about in? Right. Well, and I think my last statement uh, on that question 
address that quite quite uh, well, as you know, being that it has a huge ripple effect. It's the right thing to do. And I just want to share with you quickly. My son Keith had an episode at rush hour at a very busy intersection outside of the vehicle in the rain with his worker. He was bloodied himself. You know, he had bloodied himself. He was ripping his clothes. I had to call 911 um, because no one else did. And I wrote this poem. It's called Look Away. Look away, look away, so you won't see my pain. Look away, look away, as I struggle in vain. Always the survivor ever so strong. In a world of plenty, fighting for basics feels wrong. Look away, look away, it feels better that way, not seeing my soul tormented in the games I must play, toiling and struggling, working through the pain, only to feel it again and again. Tomorrow's a new day, yet dawn's old at its start, a sunrise, a sunset, another spike through my heart. Anguish and joy, the pain familiar and fresh, the sunny face dark, so totally enmeshed. Look away, look away, you don't want to know, but please look when it hurts, because it does matter so. Take what you can. Remember the rest. Life gives what it will, so give it your best. Susan, thank you. Um, And I want to close by saying, first of all, thank you to our listeners. And please email us with your comments and questions. And we really do want to put you in touch with Malcolm and Susan and with what they're doing. I want to say a big, big thank you to Susan and to Malcolm for sharing with us your experience, your insights, and your advice. And, of course, we wish you every, every success. But we're also inspired by you. Um, Your answers about the sun, your sense of what needs to be done, your, your feeling of the way in which what needs to be done will benefit everybody and bring advantage to our societies. These are important, important, important things. And I hope that this episode of Family Caregivers Unite will help you in some small way to achieve these goals that you want to achieve. Now, in our next episode, we'll talk about estate planning for families caring for children with special needs. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being right.